I was just thinking as I started to press record on this, I don't think I've ever told you guys that the intro and outro song by my friend Ben Mueller, he and I have actually been recording these songs and, and this song actually has lyrics and a melody and all sorts of fun stuff. And maybe one day I'll actually like sing a little bit with it because I won't get sued for it because my friend and I wrote it. So just wanted to give an extra little shout out to my friend Ben. So there you have it. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm Sarah Buino. I'm your host. I'm a psychotherapist and professor and podcaster and business owner and all sorts of other things in Chicago. So welcome. Hello. Thanks for joining us. If you have listened to this podcast before and you enjoy it, I would be so, 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 so appreciative if you would be willing to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. So if you have an iPhone, I think, do you have to have an iPhone? I don't like, I don't know a world without Mac, so I don't understand anything other than the iPhone. But if you have an iPhone and you listen, I listen to things on Spotify, but go to Apple Podcasts. So you go to Apple Podcasts, you type in conversations with a wounded healer. Here, I'm going to do it right now. Conversations with, uh, come on, there's so many conversations. Okay. So you go to conversations with the wounded healer, you click on that. And then you would scroll some of the way down and you'll see ratings and reviews. And then you can tap to rate. I mean, please five stars, but obviously do whatever you want. And then you can write a review that's under that. So I would just deeply appreciate if you are willing to do it. Thank you so much. Love you. Love your show. Love all the things. Okay. Uh, before I tell you about today's guest, I need to tell, we need to talk about TikTok. So, okay. I know <laughs> I know there are probably tons of people out there who are obsessed with TikTok and I'm not judging you at all. I just need to tell you about my experience and my concerns based on my experience. So last weekend, my husband and I and one of my BFFs go to her family has this hundred year old cabin up in the woods in Wisconsin. So we always go there to unplug. The Wi-Fi is not good enough to like stream any TV. So I can't like watch Netflix or anything like that. So she's obsessed with TikTok. So I'm like, okay, sure. I'll try this out. I'd been on it before kind of, but not really anything for like the algorithms to even know anything about me. So I was on TikTok, you guys for four hours, four hours. It was like I couldn't stop. And we started because she had this ghosty thing she wanted me to watch. So I watched the ghosty thing, which was super funny, super cute. And then I started looking at like puppies and kitties and whatever, you know, the algorithm just it kind of shows you whatever, whatever. So <laughs> we also watched videos about tonsil stones, otherwise known as tonsilliths and pimple popping, which was horrifying and also weirdly satisfying. But then what kept coming up was, I mean, since I had looked at ghosty things, I think it was feeding me some conspiracy theory stuff. And then it was also feeding me like really scary. It was like borderline conspiracy theory, just like haunty sort of things. I ended up having nightmares about skinwalkers. And I was convinced that my husband, there was a skinwalker playing my husband standing in the room and my husband was lying in bed with me. It was horrifying. But anyway, the thing that really freaked me out is that the conspiracy theory stuff came up so readily when I didn't like any of those videos that were coming up. I just was watching like there was some true crime stuff I was watching and some like unsolved mystery things I was watching. And then there's this conspiracy theory shit. And I was just like, is this what is happening to America? I know it's not quite that simple, but 
I don't know. What do you guys think? Are y'all on TikTok? Like what is coming up on your feeds? I saw something on Instagram a couple weeks ago, too, that was talking about how a lot of anti-vax conspiracy stuff was coming up on TikTok. And it's simply just the, the more views people have. So if you're viewing it and don't agree with it versus viewing it and agreeing with it, it's going to that is going to like fuel the algorithm to show it to more people. I'm just like, I don't know, dudes. I don't know. It's scary. And I just wanted to put that out there. I'm not going to go into this like birds aren't real thing, but it really freaked me out anyway. So if you're a TikTok user, maybe you just know how to use it better than me. Because <laughs> that one time for four hours, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on because I just feel the ridiculousness of this conversation, but I needed to put it out there. Anyway, so today's guest is a very special person whom I love very dearly. We've known each other for several years, and I just feel so privileged to be a witness to her opening, her unfolding her all of it just everything and I think that you are going to love her as well her name is Emily Morris and she is a licensed therapist and mental health coach based in Nashville Tennessee Emily specializes in complex trauma relationship issues addiction recovery and anxiety so please enjoy my wonderful conversation with the dear Emily Morris hello Emily welcome to conversations with a wounded healer hi Sarah thank you for having me I'm very excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to talk to you too. I'm nervous. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to be nervous. And you don't have to, but I'm not the boss of you, so I'm not going to tell you how to feel. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to tell guests the brief little snippet of who you are and, and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Emily Morris, and I am a mental health therapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. I started out in the field doing addiction counseling at a nonprofit in Chicago called Rosecrans and um, did that for a couple of years while I got my hours to become an LCSW. And then I opened my own practice a couple of years ago and moved it to Nashville in November. And now I see clients all over the country and actually all over the world to help them heal from complex trauma, mostly. Yeah. And we met when you were a little baby intern at Harborview, which was like where I interned when I was a little baby social worker. Yes, yeah. yeah, I know. And I immediately gravitated towards you because I think of your authenticity and your passion for this work. And so it's been so lovely that I started off like really looking up to you. And then we've mm -hmm. gotten to become friends in the last few years. Mm. I'm really appreciative of that. Oh, I'm really appreciative of you. And we'll get into your journey and the beautiful unfolding of authenticity that's happened for you, which has been so, I've told you personally, you know, and, and I want to say it publicly that it has been so beautiful to watch you unfold. Really, it has. Thanks, Sarah. I really appreciate that. And I, especially coming from you. Yeah. Cause I know you, you've been there right alongside me in a lot of tough moments. So I yeah. really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, do you want to start off by telling folks how you decided to become a therapist? I think therapist origin stories are always fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I was listening to other episodes of your podcast earlier today and like preparing a little bit. And I love hearing how therapists came into the field. Yeah. Too. So for me, I went to the University of Michigan for undergrad and got degrees in English and Spanish and was working at this publishing company and this tech company called Mediaspan for a year and a half in Ann Arbor, right after graduating. And I just found myself like counseling people on the job all the time. <laughs> I was the person people would come to when they're having a bad mm -hmm. day. 
And so, and then my roommate at the time was a social worker and was getting her master's in social work at the University of Michigan. And I was volunteering with a nonprofit in Detroit. And I just realized that my heart was more in caring for people and giving back in that way rather than working in publishing or in anything to do with English, even though I I loved that as well. So yeah, so I quit that job and applied to get my master's at Loyola. And then I have my... I have a family history of substance use issues. And so I had seen family members go in and out of recovery. So then when I had the chance to specialize in addiction therapy and get my CADC, I was like, you know what? I, I feel really passionate about this as well and could see that being really helpful. Not knowing that I myself was going to get sober too at the time, really having no idea that that was going to be a journey for me. But it was it was really lovely to get trained in that too. And then feel, even though I can't change my family members' journeys. It was right. empowering to really learn about addiction in a deep way. So so yeah, that's kind of what brought me into the field. Would you talk a little bit about your journey to sobriety? Because it's not the typical like, oh, I'm an alcoholic and so I have to get sober. I think your journey is such a great example of the places in between that we sometimes find ourselves. And so if you're a person who's listening and you're like questioning your relationship with alcohol, I think Emily's story might really speak to you. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the reason I think it took me so long to realize that I wanted to get sober was because I didn't see other women and men like me who were in this gray area of drinking. Like I was not drinking every day. I was only drinking on the weekends. And it was like Russian roulette for me where one time out of every 10, I would black out and not know what had happened. And it would really scare me. But I hadn't heard any stories of people who didn't have a really serious problem, capital P problem, getting sober until I found a home podcast, actually, which is Holly Whitaker and Laura McCow. And they talk about getting sober and Yeah. So I I had been working at a rehab facility, helping other people get sober from all different drugs of choice for about a year when I realized that there was something to do with my integrity in that moment Mm -hmm. really felt out of line in the sense that I was drinking heavily every weekend and then going into work and helping people get sober all week. And like I said, I wasn't like even drinking during the week, but that still felt really incongruent and, and gross to me. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to at least do some research and look at my relationship with alcohol and then what getting sober might provide me and found This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, the book that really helped and then home podcast and started to hear from women who were in that gray area of drinking but had quit and felt so much better. So in spring of 2017, I quit and I haven't gone back. And it's been so a little over four years of not drinking. And it's the best choice I've ever made. And I, I still talk to the women that I got sober with. I did it with a community almost every day. We talk almost every day. So oh my gosh, wow. I have a lot of support still for my recovery. And, um, and it looks different. It feels different than my clients at the time who were really on the more acute end of substance issues. Like it felt different for me than I think it did for them. My whole life didn't have to fall apart for me to right. get sober, but I still had to let go of a lot of friends and and really change my hobbies and my lifestyle entirely. And I did end up leaving the partner I was with because he was a big drinker and he didn't have a problem with it. So it was fine, but it we didn't like to do the same things anymore. So yeah, it was a huge change, but the best gift I've ever given myself for sure. Is it the best? Because uh, as we g- unroll your story, there might be some more. <laughs> There's another one that's now like up there uh-huh. right with, which I told my partner the other day, I was like, yes, sobriety and then being gay are like 
the best gifts I've ever given myself. And yeah. again, I didn't know, like either one, I did not know was going to happen. Right. So it was a well, surprise. Yeah. I mean, do you want to share your journey yeah. of coming out? And this is the part that just, ugh, like seeing your posts on social media, you look so authentically happy and it's just beautiful. So tell, tell us whatever you want to tell us. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks. Yeah. So I got sober um, in 2017 and then I still... Well, I got sober from alcohol, but I was still smoking weed on and off for a little while there um, and would quit for like four months or five months and then go back to smoking weed. And so finally, I also quit that. And I think that combined with NARM therapy, like getting completely and totally sober and then starting my journey in NARM, which is really healing from complex trauma, what that did for me, because I started that type of therapy about a year and a half ago. And I actually had some pre-birth trauma and some really young Mm. stuff that had happened like ages zero to three Mm. that my body remembered in NARM sessions, but my mind did not remember. Wow. Yeah. So I had sessions. I've told people this, I would have paid a thousand dollars per session for that type of healing that I received Mm -hmm. working with Susie at the time. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing that will compare to the spiritual awakening of like landing fully in my body for the first time, maybe ever. And so basically, once that happened, and then I was in a relationship with a man, I've only ever dated men historically, had never even had I had one like sexual experience with a woman after I'd quit drinking and out dancing one night, but nothing serious ever. And then I landed back in my body and Dan and I had decided to get married and we're planning a wedding. And I had made friends with a woman, a new person in my life. And six months into our friendship, realized I was in love with her and then realized that I'm not straight, that it's been more of like an act. And there's a phrase for it, like compulsory heterosexuality, where you just conform to what's going on around you. And I just never considered being bisexual or gay as like an option for me. But then I realized like that is my truth. Like I don't feel bisexual. I feel gay. And so then I ended that engagement and I moved to Nashville to be with Katie is her name. And it didn't work out between us, but it's been the best gift. I mean, that and my sobriety are tied for first place because I now am like in my body, I'm in my truth. And I, it would not have happened if I hadn't healed all that trauma where I really had to disconnect from myself from such a young age to stay safe in the environment that I was in. And so, yeah, that reconnection has been, I've really honestly just wanting to be by myself a lot of times because I'm so mm. happy to be in my truth and in my own energy and so yeah, and then now I'm, I'm dating a woman and it's the most authentic relationship and partnership I've ever been in. And it like is blowing my mind that I can be this connected to myself and be with a person who I love. So it's, yeah, my whole life has turned completely upside down in the last year and a half. <laughs> it really speaks to the power of trauma. And this is a word we don't use in NARM, but we use in addiction, the word denial, right? Like you being so disconnected and denying this, vital, fundamental part of self, like literally to the point that you didn't even consider it. I didn't consider it. Yeah, I didn't. And there's been a lot in my family around things that we deny, we don't look at, we don't Mm -hmm. talk about. While I was in France last week, so I, for my one year anniversary of coming out, I took myself to Paris for a week. Which is what everyone should do. I was like, (laughs) privilege noted as well, if you can do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like using my savings and like, this Mm -hmm. is, it has to happen because I was also supposed to get married on the 21st to Dan. And so I was like, I'm going to be out of the country. Your wedding, it came up as a calendar reminder for me. 
I was with a friend and I'm like, my friend came out as gay, canceled her wedding and decided to go to Paris on her quote unquote wedding day. So let's celebrate. And I, so I did a little like energetic celebration for you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I love it. I got actually a lot of nice messages that day, which was really nice of people. I didn't know people would be thinking about it, but yeah. So I, and I wrote my coming out story while I was in France. Oh, Emily. Because I needed, and I cried the entire time. I just sobbed the entire time because it was such a reconnection to my heart. And then it, I mean, we don't have to get into this, but the way that my family responded was so hurtful that that also broke my heart at the same time that I was like really connecting with myself, (laughs) my true self, which was beautiful. But then I had to really shut them out and kind of go it alone for a while. And they still are just, they're struggling a little bit to understand, which makes sense. I'm 31. I've only dated men and this is very confusing for them. Yeah. I feel like our families are similar in that there's a, at least for my family, and I've, I've heard you say this too, a, a leaning into how things are supposed to look, right? Yeah. Like this is the way it's supposed to be on the outside. And so I don't care what's going on on the inside. You make it look pretty on the outside. Yes. Yeah. And even now, even with my partner now that I had to tell her today, I was like, listen, I I get like a vulnerability hangover because it still mm-hmm. doesn't feel totally safe for me to be so open hearted and connected to myself all the time. Like I do have to have a contraction, like we would say in NARM and like mm-hmm. go back into like a self-protective mode every couple of days because it's like building a tolerance to something that I, I just was not taught how to do. I had to disconnect to get through pretty much everything growing up and look pretty and look be thin and like all these, you know, all this pressure. And so now I've been through quarantine, like really taking all that pressure off of myself. And I think that's how I finally came to the conclusion, like, oh, I'm attracted to women. Like, I don't, this feels like a show and this feels really gross. And I've loved each of the men that I've been with. I really, you know, I've loved and connected with them, but I could connect with them only as deep as I could connect to myself. And it wasn't, Mm -hmm. Now I'm like fully connected to myself and I just wasn't at that point. So our connections were more surface and not, nothing would last. And my mom was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, mm. I'm just like, not straight. I'm just not. <laughs> That's what's wrong, mom. Hi. <laughs> like, I'm just, so yeah, which still sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is real, but it's good. Mm. It's really good. Well, what's coming up for me right now is kind of the irony in how unorthodox your whole life journey has been when your family was really trying to make you into this perfect little Barbie doll. Yeah, I know. And that's the part. So when I wrote that essay last week and I want to publish it on like Thought Catalog or Medium or something like that. Yeah. Eventually, um, that whole thing around like we don't tell the truth in our family or we don't Mm -hmm. share stuff that's happened in our family with other people that is like still feels like pressure and is something I have to work through more because it feels really brave and really big, which is I think why it is. It doesn't feel it is brave and big. Yeah, it is. And I think that's why I stayed in the closet even from myself for so long. Mm -hmm. I think because of this pressure of like, you just marry a man, you have kids, like you just keep going on this relationship escalator. And it kept feeling so uncomfortable for me. And I was like, no, this is just what we do. We're just going to do it because that's what we do. And then it was like, wait a second, Mm. this is a huge commitment and I can't make it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's weird breaking those like unspeakable rules or those rules that are unwritten. Right. Yeah. And I'm just remembering the 
conversations that we would have when you were, the question that you kept coming up with was like, how do I get Dan to go to therapy, right? And it was so funny because you're like, I know I can't get him to do this. And yet I want him to do this. And all the pain, because I heard you not wanting to hurt him. I mean, this is the beauty and the pain of reconnecting with your own heart and your truth is that we do have to let people go. We do shift in ways that other people can't stay. And I haven't experienced the dramatic shift that you have, but I have had to let some friendships go. And because like the healing path that we're on, like this is serious and it is not for the faint of heart. And we are like digging the fuck in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I know you and I know me and I don't want to live any other way. Like I love being a person who does deep work and helps other Mm -hmm. people do that. And at the same time, I mean, it, it broke me to let him down like that. And it's still part of the reason I couldn't stop crying on the 21st last week was because just thinking about him and like, Mm -hmm. you know, I of course didn't want to hurt him. And I, I mean, we discussed like polyamory and we discussed Mm -hmm. all the options, but it ultimately, I was like, I just am not straight and that's not going to change. And it really, for me, it took a deep level of trust in myself too, that that was my truth. And then my family, my parents were really supportive for a couple of hours when I told them. And then they each called me about five hours later and were like, what are you doing? And asked me a million questions of like, how could you do this to Dan? (gasps) So they were more concerned about his feelings. Oh, Emily, that's such a betrayal. Yeah. And that's like the tip of the iceberg as to what happened. Yeah. And it was what it was, but they, I had to have a bunch of answers for them that I didn't even really have for myself yet around being gay and like, Mm, right. What does this mean? Are you going to have kids? Are you going to get married? What are you going to do? Like, I don't fucking know mom and dad back the fuck up. Yes. Those were all the questions. Yeah. Yeah. And one of them Mm. even asked me if I had had sex with this woman to make sure that I was actually gay. Yeah. And so that too, I mean, it was so difficult already. Dan was like such a mess and I was a mess. And then to get these questions, it was just, mm. and I get it because their parents may want to protect me, but I had to really set a boundary and, and then just get through moving. And luckily mm-hmm. I really could feel in myself that this was my truth. And like, I, this is what I needed to do, but it was just tough. It was just a tough year and it finally feels calm now. Mm. Wow. Well, And this is a big question, so you don't have to have an answer for it. But I'm curious if if there's anything that you would say to people who there's some sort of like queer, like some little queer pilot light in there that hasn't quite been like ignited yet. Like, do you have any words of wisdom? Do you have any hope messages? Anything at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the first thing is that it's never too late. You're not too late. You're right on time because that part of it feels hard when you're older, um, at least for me. So you're right on time. And then I think just finding like one other person who might understand to talk to, like ideally someone else who is queer or has a loved one who is because like I have a few friends who either are gay or have gay siblings and talking to them, they have the language to be really supportive. You know, they've read a lot or, you know, just I think find one other supportive person to talk to because it can feel really lonely to have that like tiny little inkling, but not know what to do. And that that's where I was last summer, just like not knowing what to do. Were there any books or resources that you would recommend to folks? 
there's a Reddit group called like, I think it's called real life lesbians that I'm in. That's really fun. That's great. And they're honestly, there's a Reddit group for quitting weed too called uh, leaves L E A V E S. That's awesome. So I'm guessing, I mean, there's the support groups on there can be really good. That's somewhere I would look, but I don't know. Cause I didn't really read anything. Mm-hmm. I was trying to, when I was first starting dating Katie, I was like, I really wanted resources about how to be in a gay relationship, <laughs> how to be gay. Let's <laughs> Why don't you write the book? <laughs> Seriously? Oh, she was like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is how I do things. <laughs> I find a self-help book. <laughs> what I do? Oh my God. Gay 101. <laughs> First, kiss a lady. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, but Amazing. yeah, nothing, nothing that I've found. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's such a personal journey, so it, it is be difficult to literally actually write a book on that. But yeah, yeah. And I do, I do have a sexuality coach now. As oh, well. you, what? Mm-hmm. That's a thing. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I'm not sure if they made it up or not. It's actually one of the people I got sober with in 2017. Yeah, they opened their own coaching business, mm. and they used to do, I think, recovery coaching, and now they do sexuality coaching for people who are questioning. Tracy Murphy is their name and they're awesome. They're on Instagram. I love it. Um, So I would definitely, I meet with them every other week and it's similar to therapy and I can just ask all my questions about being in a gay relationship Mm. and like, and I can text them too in between appointments and stuff. So that's definitely something I would recommend. Wow. That is, yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. It's really helpful to have support because that's what I did when I quit drinking too. I just like talked to other people who wanted to do the same thing. And so when Mm -hmm. I was coming out, I was like, I need to talk to anyone else who is gay. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've actually, I have a handful of, of friends who have come out later in life or have like, I mean, I'm bisexual. I have a lot of bisexual friends and I have friends who are leaning into that more yeah. now. Yeah. You know, there. I wonder like what is happening in our culture that I, it's probably a response to all of the like constriction and the turmoil and that like people are just going inward and being like, well, I'm going to find my fucking self yes. and wear it proudly. Yes. And I do think that there's more acceptance for sexuality being more fluid right now mm-hmm. than there ever has been in our culture. And so that was the other thing that I came to is like, right now I feel very gay. That is the word that feels right for me, but I'm very open to that shifting and changing as time goes on because it is fluid and things evolve. And I think we're all benefited. We all benefit when we can actually think about sexuality as more of a spectrum and as more fluid than when it's this binary labeling, like definable thing, you know? Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, it puts you in a box. Like, I will never forget because, I mean, I've always been around gay people being in theater and music and, yeah. had, you know, had gay friends my whole life and really love being with that community. And even though I knew I was bisexual, I never considered myself part of the community, which is a, that's a whole other thing. But at Loyola, I took the LGBT class and the professor you would look at him and you would say, that's a gay man. And he introduced himself at the beginning of the class and said, I'm bisexual. And I say that I'm bisexual because I'll have sex with a woman maybe once or twice a year. And I was like, oh. And he even said, like, even if I didn't have sex with women, just the fact that I'm attracted to them enough to have sex, I would consider myself bisexual. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. We can, we can, you know, change this up a little bit. We don't have to go with what the assumptions are. So I, I'll never forget that. And, and that helped me just like, think about, you can fucking call yourself whatever you want. Right. 
I had a boyfriend once who was like, you can't call yourself bisexual because you've never, like, I've never been in a relationship. I've only had sex with women. And yeah. so he's like, you can't call yourself bisexual. And I'm like, we can call ourselves whatever we want. He's like, well, then I'm a basketball. And I'm like, okay, basketball. <laughs> like, cool, whatever. Right, right. <laughs> fine. Sure, if that's your truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. I think that for myself, I don't even need a label. But for mm-hmm. other people, when they ask, like, I have mm-hmm. one because that's where we are as a culture, but I don't think that labels need to mean anything really or mm-hmm. need to be so concrete. And to use norm language, I hear you are disidentified yes. with the labels, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's get into the healer stuff. Would you consider yourself a healer? Yeah, I, I think so. I think I actually really believe that everyone on the planet is a healer because we all have a power and ability to heal ourselves and other people. I do feel like I'm a healer and I feel like I'm a channel for whatever works through me, which I would say is like consciousness or divine love. Um, Any of those terms will work for me. But yeah, I do identify as a healer. Let's talk about the woo-woo. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know where you are with all that stuff recently because we've talked more about like concrete life things, but like where are you in terms of your spiritual work? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in an interesting place. I, when I moved here, I started a really serious like Buddhist meditation practice every day. Mm. There's a meditation center called Wild Heart here. And Mm. I think it's Tibetan Buddhism that they follow. But yeah, Katie had a really serious meditation practice and Mm. would always want to be doing that every morning. And I have always wanted a more consistent practice. Mm -hmm. I would sit a couple times a week So I got really into that and pretty much ever since have had a really consistent meditation practice. And she was really into astrology. So I got more into that side of the woo-woo this winter, which was fun. But now at this point, I'm just more in kind of, I don't know what you would call it. Like it's, I'm not deep in my spiritual practices at this time, but I'm still maybe once a month doing like some moon stuff, some manifestation stuff. I'll do a lot of journaling, that kind of thing. And I get mm-hmm. like astrology readings probably once a quarter. So kind of in maintenance mode with all the spiritual stuff. But yeah, I mean, the meditation practice really helped me stay grounded throughout the winter and throughout the last part of COVID. And then with everything with my family, mm-hmm. I mean, really helped me put space between getting reactive about mm-hmm. the way that they were being. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. And I would guess that... For someone coming into their sexuality in a new way, it would be really important to be really embodied instead of being, you know, just in the ethereal, because that can be a form of bypass. Right, right. And I think because of what happened with Katie, we, this is a spiritual thing. We had believed that we were like twin flames. And I, I Mm. still believe that, or we had some sort of like really deep karmic Mm -hmm. connection. That's Mm -hmm. a label. I don't know if I subscribe to the twin flame label, but it falls in that category, Mm -hmm. I would say what we experienced, Mm -hmm. which was awesome. But then the way it ended was so painful as a result of how close we had been, Mm -hmm. and how our spiritual practices were really entwined at that point, we would do so much together. Mm. So then I think since then, I've been like pushing spirituality away a little bit. And then yeah, focusing more on like hiking and being in nature, which is still a spiritual practice for me in a different way and dancing around my house and all these embodied spiritual practices Mm. and less journaling and meditation and like ethereal kind of being in my head or in my crown chakra, Mm -hmm. definitely more grounding in my body in the, throughout the summer at least, which Mm. has felt really good. So yeah, I'm glad that you said it like that. 
That's so interesting because I had the exact same experience with a partner. I think you and I had talked about this guy that was like, we had such an intense connection. It was really short, but I knew like there was something like really important about us coming together because he was a musician. We would do music together. I stopped listening to music for years completely. I couldn't, I didn't sing unless I was like paid to go sing. I didn't sing for like two years at all. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so interesting because, you know, as the breakup was happening, I was like, but he's my soulmate. Like, you know, and my husband's also my soulmate. We can have many soulmates. Yes. So I was like, he's my soulmate. How is this happening? And and I had these little, this little card app on my phone, these like angel cards, whatever. And so I pulled one in the cab on the way to my friend's house, I was like, gonna like cry and be a mess with her. And the card said, it said soulmates. And then it was like, your soulmate can be with you for your whole lifetime, or they can be with you for five minutes. Like your soulmate is somebody who catapults you to your soul's next evolution. And when I look back on what happened with him, what happened next was a giant soul evolution over these past several years. So whatever it is, twin flame soulmate, who gives a shit? But I really believe that people like that come into our life for a reason. Yeah, I do. I do believe that. And that is exactly how I felt Mm. recently because a lot of the karma between us, I think was like cleared from us Mm -hmm. having the interaction that we did for like six months here Mm -hmm. um, in this life. And then now, yeah, I do feel like catapulted forward both in my career and in my personal life. And it's wonderful, but it's such a strange experience because I did think I was like, you know, I'm moving here to be with Katie and I'm Mm -hmm. madly in love with her. And this is my person. And we would say that to each other all the time. And Mm. in practice, it just did not work and was really intense emotionally and draining. And so I think we're both better off. But I I love that perspective too, that sometimes you meet that person for those five minutes, but it catapults Mm -hmm. you in the direction that you Mm -hmm. need to go in. Yeah. Wow. Well, do you consider yourself a wounded healer? Yeah, I think I do. I do. I, the phrasing, (laughs) I guess what comes into my head is that from a strengths perspective, I don't love it. The idea of being a wounded healer, but I do think that that's true. I think that's my truth for sure. And I think my personal belief is that everyone has had trauma. And again, we basically are all wounded healers because we are all going through some sort of evolution process, even if we're not conscious of it, even if we're not actively doing personal growth work. But yeah, I do. I do think of myself that way. Yeah. It's funny the way that you answered. It's I really should do a study on this. Like who consider themselves a healer and a wounded healer? The way that you answer really falls in line with a lot of what other people have said. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Because I listened to Lisa Lackey's episode at some point, Mm. too. And that's what she had said, too. You're like, I'm gonna steal that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What else should we talk about? Well, I mean, I selfishly, I want to know how, where you're at with your spiritual stuff too, but is that an okay thing to ask? I mean, sure. If you want to use your time to talk about me, okay. I'm not going to say no. <laughs> I'm into witch stuff. So let's see, how did this really evolve? In the anti-racism decolonizing yeah. work that I've done, one of the things that really lit me up was the invitation to research like your own family lineage and lean into the spiritual practices of your ancestors. Cool. And Irish is, is one of, you know, many European mutt 
<laughs> things. And so I, I started to read a book about Irish witches and I had a psychic reading where the guy said, you've been a white witch in every lifetime. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's maybe why I'm so drawn to this. So I, I feel like this is the way we do it nowadays. I have a couple subscription boxes. <laughs> um, and yeah. I'm just like, I'm being a little baby witch and doing little spells. And, you know, for anybody who's like freaking out about witchcraft, it's really like the way that it's portrayed in the media and historically is really just a patriarchal tool to silence and squash women and their empowerment. So being a witch does not mean like I don't anticipate I will ever do a malevolent spell like against anybody like I'm working on something now that I need to do some protection and some like cord cutting from a certain person in my professional life. But yeah, I'm super into witch shit. I love that. And the other thing is the pagan part of it is becoming in tune with the cycles of nature, right? So you talked about the moon earlier. So I've been, you know, I know when the full moon and the new moon are happening. And sometimes I'll do like manifestation spells with that or... I've been tracking my sleep in a journal. I've been like just kind of tracking the cycles. And it's been really cool to try to like in an embodied way, internally unlearn the linear forward motion that, you know, capitalism and the patriarchy really want us to have. So that's what I'm super. And and of course, I still meditate every morning and all that jazz. Yeah, no, I really love that because that is what I've been leaning into more as well as like the cyclical nature of everything. And then Mm -hmm. I'll definitely do a new moon ceremony or a full moon ceremony for myself, either alone or with friends out Mm -hmm. on the deck. And that's how I am starting to feel more connected to the earth again and to the cycles of the planet. And, And I think that's hopefully where we're headed as a culture, especially with the climate crisis. You know, I really wanna start to feel more connected to the earth and then also work towards you know, ending the climate crisis in whatever small ways that I can. So yeah, I love that aspect of spirituality. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I started kind of with Buddhism and now I'm like wherever the intersection of Buddhism and paganism are. Yes. Yeah. That's where I feel like I am too. Yeah. Aiming on. Yeah. 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 And one other thing I could share about is the clairvoyant stuff. If you want to hear about that too. Yeah. See, I put that in the spiritual camp. So I didn't know if you were, if you had abandoned that recently too. Yeah, no, I took it off my website as a service like two weeks ago. And that it's an interesting thing. I was thinking like, oh, maybe I don't want to do aura readings anymore. But I actually don't think that that's the case. I think I want to do them more for friends and family and acquaintances than for clients. And I want to do them for free rather than to Hmm. charge for them. It just feels energetically, it's like a gift and it's like a connection with another spirit and it feels really sacred. And not to say that you can't receive money for your gifts because I totally respect that. I think that's really important. But if I can offer this, if I have the privilege to be able to offer this for free and give it as a gift, I think that's what I would like to do. Hmm. So yeah, but I, when I got sober, I the woman, my mentor in the sobriety community, I did hip sobriety school, which is now Tempest um, Mm -hmm. sobriety school, which is awesome. If anyone needs help quitting drinking, it's an online eight week program. And then through that, Holly, who was leading it at the time, her psychic Leon, she had mentioned him a couple of times. And so I did a free class with him an intro to clairvoyance, um, which is really just getting in your third eye and being able to read energy, see things clearly. And then I ended up doing a year and a half training program to train to be clairvoyant. And now I do, yeah, like 90 minute aura readings for people 
mean, your aura is just an extension of your spirit that lives right outside mm-hmm. of your body and kind of has information related to the lessons that you're learning and the themes that you're working on um, in your personal growth work. And so, yeah, so I am still doing that. And I still use those tools, like you were saying, for protection. It, it sounds very similar mm-hmm. to the witchcraft. Like I can create like a mock-up, which is manifesting what you want to manifest on the spiritual level. And then it comes in um, on the mm. earthly level. And I also, before all my sessions, I ground the energy of the session and I ask Supreme Being or my higher power to be present during the session and to give it a healing. And then I have a protection separation rose, we would call it in the clairvoyant program up as well, so that I'm not taking on someone else's stuff in a way that I would carry it forward or something. So yeah, so I I do use those tools every single day. And that makes me feel connected to my higher power and makes me feel Mm -hmm. like I'm part of something larger than just like doing these sessions in my house feels like by myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) sometimes. So yeah. Mm. Would it be too much to ask to have you do a little baby reading for me right now? Oh, no, I can do that. Okay, 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 go. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So but we need you need a question that you want to look at. Oh, do I have to say the question out loud? Yeah, because I need to know it. And so what we'll need to do, if you want to do it, you'll have to give me your full birth name three times. And then I'll just look at your energy. And then if you want to ask a question or even just pick an area of your life that you want me to look at. Okay. Yeah, I'll pick, I can pick an area. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So go ahead and give me your full birth name three times. Sarah Beth Lukey, Sarah Beth Lukey, Sarah Beth Lukey. Okay, great. So you're vibrating today at a bright blue color really pretty, like a blue bonnet, that kind of color. Mm. And then your next step color, which is where I'm going to read you from is like a grass green, bright Mm. green. I'm going to put my crown there. Okay. And then, yeah. What area of your life do you want me to look at? What are the next steps in my professional life? Okay. So what I'm seeing, it might make sense to you, even if it doesn't make sense to me is a really beautiful gold rose and it's just has tons of petals. So it looks like you're in your professional life. You have a ton of information, a ton of resources, looks really beautiful. And I'm seeing you reaching up towards the sky. Like there's different hands coming out of this rose and you're reaching up, like looking Mm. for something that you don't already have. Mm. And there's a big, beautiful moon. It's a full moon in the sky and it's like a purple sky Mm. and you're reaching up towards that. And so then your spirit guides come in and one of them says that you tell her that she's exactly where she needs to be. Mm. And they're pointing to the moon and the the sky. And it's interesting because we were just talking about your spiritual practices. There's something to do with like the witchcraft and the spiritual practices that they're really affirming Mm. that they're nodding at. Mm. And then, yeah, like your personality, because I can just see in this bright gold energy, like your excitement for learning and your thirst for learning is so clear. Mm. Like that's coming through really strong. Okay. I'm just clearing some stuff out of the way. And then the, the last thing that they're showing me is like you taking a deep breath and taking a break. And they're just affirming that it's okay also to pause in between mm. these like trainings and in between all this, these resources that you have. It's so interesting because I normally see a sun over the um, rose rather than a moon. Mm. I just want to ask them. Yeah. So then the the other thing that they're saying about the moon showing up right above your rose here is just that there's something to do with like shadow work that you've been doing. And they're just affirming that (laughs) like, 
And there's like, there's an image of you dancing too. It's like this really beautiful thing where because you are doing this really deep work that you're able to step more into like indulgence and joy in a different way than you could before. So that's coming through really strong. And it, it honestly just looks like affirmation of what you've been doing and to continue that. Well, friends, she's right on. So (laughs) great. Yeah, that's so funny because I I sat down with a a coach earlier this week and was like, okay, what do I do? Like next steps, like how do I do potentially X, Y, Z? And I have like all these different ideas of things I want to do. And she's like, you know, just like whatever, just see what happens. And that was the opposite that I expected from a coach. I expected she'd be like, okay, well, you need to hire me. We need to meet once a week and blah, 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 blah. She's like, let's just check in in three months. I think you're going to be fine. I think it's just going to (laughs) come. That's literally what it looks like from your spirit too. And like this idea that you're doing the work, even if it feels Mm -hmm. like play or it feels like extracurricular and not like everything is in the professional box, but everything that you're doing is leading you forward. It looks like. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. You're so good. So are you. I love talking with you. I love talking with you. And everybody's going to love hearing it. And my editor's going to make fun of me because again, I'm having a love fest with my guests. This is what we do here. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, so where can people find you more about your work? All of that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. So my website is composedoflove.com. That's my practice. And other than that, I am on Instagram as attachment healing as well. There's some resources there, but I'm not very active on my professional Instagram right now. So the website is probably better. And I am taking new clients for NARM sessions, but I just have a few spots left. So. Mm -hmm. And who's your ideal client right now? Who do you really want to work with? My ideal client, I think, is somebody who's already done a lot of professional and personal growth work and wants to try something new to really get to the root of what's getting in their way to change patterns or work on their mental health, work on anxiety or depression. So yeah, because I I really vibe, I guess, with like other therapists or people Mm -hmm. who have tried other things and it hasn't worked for them. Yeah, I've been getting into just seeing therapists lately. And that is the best. It's the best. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Emily, again, I am like, I can't, pride isn't even the right word, but I'm so proud of you. I feel so much love for you. And it's funny. I remember we were sitting at Starbucks on Polina. Yeah. You had just gotten sober. You know, you were talking about all these things and you were like, I'd love to be on your podcast. And there, there was something in me that was like, not right now. Yeah. And I've been, th- I of course have been thinking about you over the past couple of years about like, oh, when is the right time for Emily? And it's just so funny that there was something inside me that knew that there was going to be a time yeah. when your story was ready to be told. And it's now. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I was thinking about that earlier today too. I was thinking about I don't remember asking you that, but that makes sense because I thought about it a few years ago and then, but I wasn't, I wouldn't have been ready either to talk through things that, you know, I honestly, I I still really look up to you, but I also think of people who are on podcasts as people who've been in the field a little longer and have more experience. No, no, fuck that shit. It doesn't matter. Right. Like it, because wherever you are in your journey, like even if I would have had you on back then, it would have been the right time for what you had to deliver then. Yeah. Like I had a therapist once say to me when I when I was questioning my worth and like, why do I do speaking gigs? Why do I have a podcast? Like, what's the point of this? Who cares what I have yeah. to say? 
And she said, even if you say what other people have said a thousand times, there's one person at least out there who needs to hear what you have to say in the way that you say it. Yeah. I guarantee you there's somebody listening today that you have unlocked something for them. It happens every time. Cool. Yeah. No, that's how it works. That's the gift that I was given to. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love you so much. I love you too. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks to Emily for our conversation today. I just love Emily so much. I mean, I love all of our guests, but Emily is such a dear friend of mine. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with her. So to find out more about Emily, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.